0: Oh, thank you. Um, I'm going to start again by very briefly introducing myself, which I do. I don't know if, you, if I was still a psychiatric patient, which maybe I still am <laughs> in some people's eyes. It uh, might be considered a little bit problematic. But I do compulsively introduce myself because mistakes have been made from time to time. And people ex- have expected to see a man. And I'd like to make it absolutely clear yet again <laughs> that I am... Um, Bobby Baker with a Y, and I am a woman. (laughs) Thank you. I will also add, this is really bad, but it relates to what Sam said, that um, I was interviewed when I was 41. i just opened... It was my first big, well-known show after I'd had kids called um, Drawing the Mothers... No, I opened my kitchen to the public, kitchen show, and I was being interviewed by um, Michael Parkinson, who was on a down period of his career. It was on L, <laughs> LBC. And he introduced me, and he said, what would you think? I was 41. If a middle-aged woman walked into a room dressed in a white coat, I was like, I'm in my prime. <laughs> you know? um, and so ever since then, I've made a bit of a feature. I did think, well, I wonder if, you know, why is my age so relevant? So ever since then, I've made an issue of explaining what age and what era I am, so there's no question. So I'm currently uh, 63 years and two weeks. <laughs> so I'm not older and I'm not middle. I'm sort of in between anyway I'm really thrilled to be here and uh, uh, this extraordinary weekend it's a great honor and I'm the performance isn't quite long isn't quite isn't quite short no what do I mean <laughs> it's not too long um, uh, so it's called ballistic buns BB um, and I'm going to give, I'm going to do this in the right voice for a certain sort of uh, art form. I'm going to do a brief introduction to contextualise what will be a durational performance. <laughs> is this is the correct term if you're analysing so this of work, uh, that I'm about to, to deliver, which will be. 3 minutes 47 seconds. But in order to get to the 3 minutes 47 <laughs> seconds <laughs> I'm just going to set the scene a bit. And the whole point of what I'm doing and um, I won't go in too much because then I could babble on but I'm really interested in why why we crack up, you know, I'm interested in thinking a lot about that, about the patient's voice from my point of view. And I'm doing research into issues of mental health and ways in which trauma and distress can be contained and resolved within one generation so that it doesn't trickle on through the centuries. Uh, I used to suffer from what is described as severe and enduring mental health problems, which I sort of think implies that you have to endure it forever, (laughs) Um, and I don't now. So I thought I'd start with my grandparents, Dorothy and George and I'll keep it snappy. They were both brought up in Newcastle, born in the 1880s. And here, uh, which I thought was good for you to look at, is my grandmother, age 15, in the lacrosse team at her school. She came from a well-to-do family in Newcastle. Um, a bit embarrassing being posh, but, well, I'm not <laughs> as posh as she was, but she was. And uh, I think her parents must have been very progressive because um, she was sent to boarding school, and I, it was unusual. And so she was sent to Rodine, uh, which I think was the best educational school in those days. You can imagine going all the way to, from Newcastle? She absolutely loved it. Um, so that's her playing lacrosse. Uh, she's the bottom right one. So um, I think I have to do this myself. Yeah. Um, There's my grandfather with his siblings. I keep on trying... It's not on, is it? So should I do both the radio mic and this? Just the desk one. So um, there's my grandfather with his siblings. That's him, second from the left. Tell me if if I'm doing it wrong, sound-wise. Just shout. Now I'm going to compulsively, pathologically check. All right. <laughs> so he's the second from left. Uh, and uh, those are all his brothers and sisters. Uh, they weren't so well off, but better off than their neighbours. Their father was a charismatic... I don't know if you'd use those terms. evangelical, but he was a preacher in the very poor neighbourhood called Biker in Newcastle. Surrounded by extremes of poverty and distress, which I've heard family stories about, the focus of his family of origin, that went back quite a long way on that side, was altruism, and uh, like they used to get that lot used to get really fed up because their furniture would be given away from the vicarage to help people who lived around them. Um, the woman they're all sitting on is his elder sister, not their mother, Alice. She was really fed up apparently, because uh, she used to help care for all of them. And apparently she cried every time another new baby was born. as <laughs> She knew to had to look after it or help. And um, he had to shape up and help support the family too. There wasn't much money. Um, so he helped. He actually paid towards, ultimately, the education of the younger ones, including his two younger brothers. Ronnie is the second from last. He was very, very brainy. Uh, got three scholarships to go to Cambr- Cambridge, went to the grammar school, and became a senior wrangler, which is a double first in maths at Cambridge. Basically means mathematical brilliance, sort of computer, and not good on eye contact. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of it in my family, not me. Um, well, as I said, he had to get a job when he came back, pretty sharpish. He was also rowing blue. He had that kind of... Um, to pay for his brothers and sisters' education. And the best local employer who offered the best money and I imagine status was a shipping and armament factory called Armstrong Whitworth, uh, which became Armstrong Vickers and ultimately Vickers. Um, basically, he did the sums to help make ships and also bigger, better guns to go on the ships. My grandmother, though, who wanted to be an artist, never finished her education. Suddenly, one summer when she was 15, her parents decided to go on a cruise. So they arrived one day in a carriage. She told me how she could hear other coaches come up the carriage of the school, Um, at her school, Rodine, and off she went to the Canaries. Lucky girl. Um, I've now realised that it's unlikely I'll ever find out why. Well, they're all stories. You make stories of your life and your family past, and history is that. But I've got a strong theory that I formed. But that, from anyway, the fact was, from that time on to the end of her life, just after 80, my grandmother was anorexic. There was a real epidemic of young, well-to-do women of her generation. It was the second one after some medieval monks. Well-known epidemic of anorexia. Uh, She never really recovered. My perception of anorexia, and I've got friends who've suffered that, really terrible. Trouble, um, and they talk about it, is that by controlling their eating and shape, people with that feeling can help keep control of extreme, unacceptable emotions like anger tight inside. So, to a degree, it's an inability to talk about what you're feeling. Uh, My mum found it very difficult. she used to talk about, my, I can only do my mother in an exaggerated way, because she, she had epi, epic personality disorder, my mum. <laughs> if, if you're going to diagnose people, she was an extraordinarily larger-than-life character. Uh, but she described, and I saw her with her mother, trying to get her to eat. My grandmother was naughty. And so during the war, but my mum used to say the family story was, she, we know she eats because we, we catch her eating out of the pan. So she used to go in the kitchen. She used to wear a yoga, tatty old overcoat with a kitchen, with an apron on underneath and then sneak into the kitchen in eat a bit like old Coley out the pan. So um, it wasn't exactly a, a, a sort of in welcoming household. Um, but there you go. In the years leading up to the First World War, he was busy designing guns and she did a bit of visiting. Dances, embroidery, learn to make lace, that sort of thing. So here's my grandfather. He's the the end, oh, the one second from left, out with the whole party of his employers on a shooting party. Pretty, you know, he was earning money, he was helping the family, and obviously he loved what he did. He met through his sister when they were doing drawing classes and married in 1913. And isn't that lovely? That's the happiest picture of her ever. It's just a beautiful image. Um, So now the war, 1913. And here is another BB, Big Bertha. I don't know if many of you've come across Big Bertha. It's the name uh, given to a gun designed by the Krupp's Company. The biggest gun ever, a real whopper. That's how my brother used to say, ooh, it's a whopper. Um, massive, you know, boys. I was part of their gang, you know, ooh, yeah, massive. 16-inch howitzer. I never knew what they were talking about, but I was like trying to pretend I cared. Um, it was named after the Ger- by the German troops, Wikipedia has taught me this, after the woman who owned the Krupp's firm, Bertha. Ha, <laughs> ha, um, I read on the internet that this was because she was large. Big Bertha. Um, but actually, I found a photograph, and she wasn't fat, but she was obviously very powerful. The gun was so big, Big Bertha, that it had to be hauled around on trains. It was really, really successful of uh, blasting through sieges and such like. My grandfather, who I experienced as a peaceable, gentle... Man who hated arguments set about working on the British equivalent. Um, being in on a ship, theirs had to be carted around on ships and they couldn't get the trains over to France. But it wasn't named after my granny, skinny Dorothy. <laughs> Here's my grandfather on the right. I, I imagine that's Lord Armstrong um, with a, a chap, you know. But it, there's lots and lots of gun, um, pictures like this in the family album of ships and guns. Um, so that's the story of... Oh, yeah, there's a family story my brother was always telling, um, is that the gun designed by my grandfather was so explosive when they were testing it, it used to crack people's false teeth in their mouths. I don't know whether that was just invented from what guns do when you're nearby them. Um, and burst eardrums, so it was big stuff. Um, so that's the story of their lives. At that point, he designed guns. He carried on working for uh, Armstrong all his life. And she never ate in front of people, ever. Skin and bone, and kept it all in. So, there's a, a picture, an example of a picture in our family album. Boom. And that's my grandmother waving. <laughs> she was really classy. She used to wear really classy clothes until they got us as It was very, very skinny. Um, when my mum was really old, uh, she sort of opened up a bit more, as old people sometimes do. And I was just by then sort of collaborating with psychologists and really, really interested in family history and trying to trace. I'd been the designated mad person in the family. Um, And I just had a feeling, I knew my grandmother, I I knew my mother and her brothers and sisters had been very depressed a lot of their time, their lives. And she was telling me one day, um, she slipped into the conversation knowingly, naughtily, She said, oh, that's when daddy had his breakdown. And I went, what? What? You never told us that he had a breakdown? She said, oh, yes. Uh, He had a breakdown at the end of the First World War and she remembered her parents, this is what they used to do, they'd all go to the South Coast. So her parents went to the South Coast and left her and her brother with their grandparents that they loved. Um, And I said, why did not you talk about it? And she said, well, it wasn't spoken about. So that's why she was almost wanting to tell me because it was never spoken about um, and let me know. And I said, and I used not to be able to read the, say this without crying, um, and I said, well, why did he have a breakdown? And she said, oh, well, of course, it was because he designed all those guns that killed all those people. And I just felt that profoundly <laughs> tragic because his own younger brother, Ronnie, was killed in the Somme in uh, 1916, and I imagine, you know, my grandfather must have felt to a degree responsible. So my grandmother, really awful cook, but she made buns when people came to tea because that's what you did. Like most people with anorexia, she liked to watch other people eat. I used to go once a week after school and she'd watch me eat. She'd buy a bag of broken bits from the bakers. don't know if you can still get them. It's all the broken bits from the window. And she'd pile them on a plate and had to eat them while she watched. But I didn't mind, really, but it was all a bit weird. Um, when, she, when people came to taste, she used to make these rock buns. And she'd have a pile of buns held, uh, and I guess when, would get a surprise, because she'd go, kitsch, kitch, and uh, throw them a bun. <laughs> You'd have to catch a bun, which was rock hard. <laughs> Um, so I'd just like to do this short, durational performance. And it is a reflection on gendered responses to anger at injustice and guilt and the consequences of such behaviour through subsequent generations. It's a sort of reflection. And the impact of the guns and bombs on mental health. The impact of unresolved emotions and frustrated ambition on mental health. And um, so this bit that we're building up to, just a brief explanation for you, those of you not fortunate enough to be brought up in the 1950s. <laughs> I say I went around with my brother. We used to go to a sync-up Odeon and watch uh, films, and sometimes we'd go several times. And uh, there was this film, you know, The Dam Busters? Oh, I love it. And um, about that wonderful... I can't remember his name, which I should. The less ballistic engineer who designed the bouncing bombs to burst the dams in the Ruhr Valley in Germany to rip out their armaments factories. And we used to act it out. Well, I was always some bit part, my brother and his friends, um, the, the wonderful, wonder of that. Brave airmen, ingenuity, skill, daring, brilliance. Um, my brother... And me tagging along loved it. We saw it several times. And the famous music, the fabulous music, the Dumbbusters theme. It's really stirring and inspiring. So this version you're going to see is 3 minutes 47 seconds. Please sit it out and enjoy the buns. <laughs> this particular theme is played by the Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain. That's great. So bouncing bombs... With Your Ballistic Buns by Bobby Baker, in memory of our own Big Bertha, and particularly in memory of my grandparents, Dorothy and George. So, could we start the film, please? Oh, hang on. I think there might be a few to spare <laughs> for tomorrow and uh, they're not really very hard actually they're nice and soft so so can we have the the durational bit please underneath? thank you do i have to press something <laughs> be for eating tomorrow they're very fresh (laughs) all right thank you very much